a reading from God's Word, Matthew 22, 1-14. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. When he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And the servants went out into the roads and gathered all, all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But then the king came in to look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king then said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Oh, I hope you all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as a preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. In the event that you did not hear, Andrew, uh, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. While you open or load your Bible, I've got a couple of quick updates for you. Uh, the first one is, uh, if you're new today, we're actually closing off our series on the parables of Jesus. We've been here for about the last 10 weeks, and so today we close off the parables, and next week we head into 1 Timothy. And so you can start reading on that. Uh, additionally, if you are new, we'd love to meet with you or connect with you or even get the opportunity to pray for you. And so we invite you to fill out one of those connect cards that's on the chairs, leave it in the uh, a bag at the Connect desk, and one of our staff team will get with you. Finally, we love God's Word. We love to preach out of God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible, let us hook you up. That is our gift to you. Uh, please make sure that you take one with you before you head out. I feel like I have so many updates. The last one is just the fact that teachers have already headed back to school or are heading back to school. And so uh, just know that we are praying for you. We love you. We greatly appreciate our teachers, educators, faculty, and staff members. And so um, have at it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> with that being said, I'd love to just dive into our time this morning. Once more, we are in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Well, I don't know about you, but I love a good wedding, especially a good reception and a really good after party. If you can nail that, then a wedding is simply going to be one of the most memorable experiences you'll ever have. One of my favorite wedding after parties was earlier this year in the spring. Now, to save them from embarrassment, I won't mention Alan or Maribel's name, but uh, we had their after party uh, the day after their wedding and, and at our house. I think we had uh, close to 70 people in our home. We uh, cooked anywhere between 45 to 50 pounds of food. We set up a makeshift dance floor in our driveway, and Izzy was one of the best wedding DJs I have ever heard or seen. It's 
I can't even, that's another sermon on its own. The evening was warm, but everyone was laughing and dancing and celebrating, and hearts were full of both joy and food. The majority of those invited to the party were asked to bring absolutely nothing, and by the time everyone arrived at the house, the food, drinks, dessert, and music was ready to go. When people showed up who weren't formally invited, as one does in the valley, immediately they were given a plate and folded into the mix of dancing and conversation. When a family or individual was late, as one does in the valley, then people fixed them a plate immediately and then fixed themselves another plate so that that individual or family wouldn't eat alone. This valley wedding feast was certainly one of the most memorable evenings we've had. Everyone who was in attendance wasn't simply handed information, but received an invitation of celebration. If someone didn't show up and they were invited, phones were flooded with text messages, where are you at? Or, ontas. The evening was more than an informed event. It was an invitation to celebrate. And similarly, that's what we're looking at today in this parable of the wedding feast or the wedding banquet. In this parable, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that the gospel is more than a message of information. It is an invitation of grace to everyone and anyone. And so before we dig into our text, let me pray and we'll continue our time on this wonderful parable. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for a morning that has been filled with your grace and your mercy. God, may we consider them deeply. May we praise you passionately for your grace and mercy. God, we thank you for your word. And as a result, we ask that you would both comfort and convict us as we examine your word. God, I pray that you would challenge us and compel us to turn to you by your grace as we examine your word. Lord, for those who are here that know Jesus, my prayer is that they would come and know Jesus better. And for those who are here who don't know Jesus, my prayer is that they would come to know Jesus today. We pray and ask this in his name. Amen. All right, here we go. In our time, we're going to, con- we're going to consider three sections of this parable. We're going to consider the wedding, the invitations, and the dress code. Once more, the wedding, the invitations, and then finally, the dress code. We're going to begin with the wedding. And this takes place in verses 1 through 2. So I'll read them quickly, and then we'll, we'll dive into some context. Beginning in verse 1, and again, Jesus spoke to them. You might want to circle the word them in the parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. It's important that we look at the context and who Jesus is talking to, not only so that we're aware of who he's talking to, but so that it would serve as a reminder to us for what a parable is. So the first thing is, who is Jesus talking to? If you got your Bibles open, the section right above that is the end of Matthew 21, and it concludes with verses 45 and 46. Here we go. If you don't, it's not on the screen, so you can just listen. 
When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So in this part of Matthew, Jesus is speaking specifically to the Pharisees. If you don't know who a Pharisee is or was, that was an individual who was the religious leader of Jesus's day. They were both feared and respected, revered and abhorred because they were known for their hypocrisy. And so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here. And as we walk into Matthew 22, he speaks to them in parables. In this case, it's the parable of the wedding feast. And as he concludes this portion of scripture, in Matthew 23, he strongly rebukes the Pharisees in public. This is all happening around the time that Jesus is about to make his way ultimately to his crucifixion. So all of this is happening towards the end of his earthly ministry. But once more, as I mentioned, it's important to be reminded of what a parable is and what the purpose of a parable is. Here we've noted that a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly message. And because he's talking to the Pharisees and in turn talking to us, uh, this parable or these parables kept going over their head. And to a degree, to some measure, that is the point of parables. Parables uh, reveal or conceal. Sometimes the parable or the story is so simple that it is easily missed. And the Pharisees are missing it. And many of you here would even say that you probably grew up, particularly if you grew up in the church, you'd say, oh man, I have grew up learning and hearing about the parables, and I can assure you, you too have probably missed the significance of these parables. And so what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees in verses 1 through 2? Right? He's telling them about the kingdom of heaven. All of the parables that we have examined in the last 10 weeks, and all of the parables for that matter, point to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are interchangeable. And so all the parables point to that. The context or the subject matter might be different. We might be talking about judgment. We might be talking about salvation. We might be talking about the Christian faith and Christian living. But all of those examples ultimately point to the kingdom of heaven. And that's no different here in the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, he's basically saying, let me tell you what it's like. I'm going to hook you up. The kingdom of heaven is like the best wedding party you've ever been to. In this wedding party, the king who represents the father is celebrating, exalting, and bringing honor to his son, that is representative of Jesus. And what I love about this illustration in these two short verses, what I love about this illustration is that it really shows you that heaven isn't a boring place and it's not simply a better place. It is the place to be with the biggest and best party ever, with the best food and drink that you can consider. But more than that, what Jesus is communicating to you and I is that weddings parties, and even the Sunday morning gathering, I should say it this way, and especially the Sunday morning gathering, serve as a slice of the kingdom of heaven. 
So when we all gather and when we all praise and exalt and celebrate Jesus and his work for us by his grace, it is a slice. When you see people singing, when you see hands raised, when you see people laughing at the Sunday gathering, it is a slice of the kingdom of heaven. The Sunday gathering, parties, family dinners are all tiny fractions of what is to come. Everything will be taken care of for you. Everything will be ready. Your job is to just show up. And we see this imagery in Revelation 19. I don't think this is on your notes, so I'll just read. This is the Apostle John, and he goes on to say, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride, that is the church, His bride, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So verses 1 through 2, what is it that Jesus wants you and I to walk away with? The kingdom of heaven is like the best wedding party you have ever been to. And every really good party, Sunday gathering, event that you've gone to is a slice of what is to come. It is a foreshadow of what we will be rejoicing in. Next, we have the invitations. So that was number one, the wedding. Number two, the invitations. Right, to this amazing party. And we're going to uh, park our time here for a minute. So here I want you to notice, this is verses 3 through 10. Here I want you to notice that there are four invitations. One of them is implied, and we'll get to that. Right? What you're also going to notice is that this parable serves as the story of God in redemptive history, if you'd like to know, man, what does the Bible teach about God and his people? The parable of the wedding feast gives us this really broad overview, and it's excellent. Here we go. The first one is a save the date. Does everybody know what a save the date is, right? It's an invitation that you set out. You're supposed to send it out a couple of months in advance to let the guests know, hey, the wedding is coming. This event is coming. I'm just letting you know the date and maybe where, right? I know in the valley we do it like 10 days out, but normal people do it like three, four, six months out. Nevertheless, right, that's the save the date. So beginning in verse 3, and the king, that is, sent his servants to call those who were invited. That little phrase, to call those who were invited, right, that suggests that those who were invited had a save the date card. And that's kind of the first invitation, Those who were invited already had a save-the-date type of invitation. In other words, they knew that this event was coming. They knew that one day, at a certain time, this event 
would take place. They had the information so that they would be alert and ready and have everything calendared so when the servants came back to remind them, hey, the time is now. So that little phrase just lets us know they already had a save the date. So this isn't a surprise. Go back to verse 3. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So we not only get a picture or an idea that they already had a save the date card, but here we also get the first official and exclusive invite at the same time. The servants of the king are basically, are basically cashing in on the save the dates. The day has come. The wedding is happening. The food is prepared. The tables are waiting. And so the servants go out to these uh, guests, those who have been invited, and say, hey, everything is ready to go. Today is the day. Remember, we hooked you up with those save the dates. Today is the day for the wedding. And we learn in verse 3 that they the guests would not come. It isn't that they were incapable of coming. It isn't that they were unable to attend. It is that they were unwilling to attend. So the servants go back to the king. Hey, they don't want to come. Verse 4, the king says, Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So the king, showing grace and patience, tells his servants, go back out there and bring them in. Let them know that for real it's ready. Right? It's not being cooked and things are being prepped. Like it's ready to go. Like the, the taquisa is set up. The alas frescas are lined up. Like the mariachi are literally warming up. Like we're here. We're good to go. So he sends them out once more. But we read, continuing in verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5, but they, those invited, paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants. In Luke's account of this parable, it's found in Luke 14, in Luke's account of this parable, it's not just that the servants, or excuse me, it's not just that those who were invited paid no attention. Luke goes on to say, they all alike began to make excuses. And he gives us a little bit more details. He says that one of those who were invited said, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. All of the excuses that they provided to the servants were petty excuses. They were insignificant and they were considering it as much more important and significant than this wedding that they knew about. And much more, those of the guests who didn't simply make excuses, there were some that seized the servants and treated them harshly and shamefully and even killed them. Go back to verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. Verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. 
let's, let's park right here for a little bit. The portion of this parable is the representation of God sending the prophets to proclaim His word to the nation of Israel, to repent and to return to God, to remind them that the Messiah is coming, to put their death, to put their sin to death, and to receive the Spirit of God for them. And if you've read any portion of the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were killed. In this portion of the parable, it's also representative of men like John the Baptist who proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we learn later that John was imprisoned and then beheaded. It's a representation of Jesus proclaiming the kingdom to those who have the invitation. The invitation that was foretold in Genesis 3. The invitation that was foretold through Abraham that ultimately would become the nation of Israel. Jesus went on to proclaim the kingdom. And John writes that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And so rather than receiving this invitation, Jesus was accused arrested, and ultimately murdered. This portion of the parable is representative of the apostles who went out to preach the gospel to the nations, to both Jew and Gentile, to the Jews who had the invitation. And with the exception of one, all of the apostles were martyred. This invitation, if you haven't gotten it, it is, the gra- it is the invitation of grace to the gospel. The invitation to the wedding feast, the one that has been heralded, is being rejected. It's being rejected with violence and hatred toward the king. And you might say, like, well, how do you know they hated the king? Servants are an extension of the king. And so the fact that they seized them, beat them, and then killed them is them showing how much they defy the king and hate the king. Today, the same invitation is rejected by way of excuses, wanting the Christian faith customized to our liking and to our timing. This is alarming because it shows that just because one has heard the message of the gospel doesn't mean they actually and affectionately love Jesus or that they know him to begin with. And so as we transition to verse 7, we see that at this point, the king's patience has come to an end for those who have been invited. Let's go to verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king's patience for those who are invited runs out. And the next thing he does is he executes judgment. It is through this illustration that Jesus is foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., If you're a history buff or a history nerd, this is also known as the Siege of Jerusalem. In verse 8, the king concludes that he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited 
were not worthy. Why? Why were they not worthy? Because they, in their hardness of hearts, in their stubborn, stiff-necked, and arrogant ways, have dishonored, rejected, and dismissed the Son. And the King will not have any of that. The King will not allow anyone to dishonor His Son. And the truth is, it could end here. That could be the end of the parable. But there's another invitation. So let's keep reading. Verse 8. I should mean verse 9. The king goes on to say to his servants, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the king tells his servants, go to the main roads, go to the highways. The highways were on the margins of the city. These are where individuals were traveling from from city to city, from country to country. And the idea here is that those who are traveling on the outside, those aren't the Jewish people, those are Gentiles. So you see that the king is now expanding his reach to, to those who are in the margins or to those who are in the highways. Once more, In Luke's Gospel, he gives us a little bit more detailed. Where the king says, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And so he's telling the servants, Go invite everyone and anyone. Go invite those who are broken. Go invite those who are marginalized. Go invite the good, the bad, the moral, the immoral. Invite all of them to come to the banquet. And so here, I want you to see yourself in these two characters. The people on the highway and the servants. Beginning with the people on the highway. Unless you're Jewish, we were the ones on the outskirts. We were the ones who were marginalized. The poor the ones who didn't get the invitation. And we are brought in. And a plate is fixed for us. And we are folded into the best wedding party ever so that the Son is celebrated, exalted, and glorified. The Gospel of Jesus came to us. By grace through faith, we have been saved by Jesus. And here's why I love this parable even more, because I think it's such a valley parable. This invitation that you and I have received by grace has come after the fact. You and I are 2,000 years removed from this invitation. We're literally late to the party, just like we normally would be down here. We're literally late to the party, and that's okay. The plates are being fixed for you. You have been saved by grace through faith. Number two is the servant. So I want you to see yourself as the ones on the highway, the ones who are broken, the ones who are marginalized, and you've been folded in by the grace of God. And I also want you to see yourself as as the servants 
the ones that go out and invite everyone and anyone. At the beginning of verse 9, we read, Go therefore. It sounds a lot like the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is where we go and invite everyone and anyone, where we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power to save both the Jew and the Gentile. Listen, church, we are not simply messengers of information, but of an invitation. When you share the gospel, make sure that you're inviting those to this wedding feast. The food is ready and the tables are set. All you have to do is show up. The work has been done. Forgiveness stands ready and His grace is there for you to receive. So, let's be a little practical. How are you doing at inviting others into this wonderful message of grace? Let's make it simple. How are you doing when it comes to sharing the gospel? I'm sure very quickly we would have a number of reasons as to why we can't do it. Challenging workplaces. You rather post dumb stuff on Facebook. (laughs) You have a bunch of reasons. And though we were the ones once marginalized, sometimes I fear that our hearts have become more like the ones who have excuses. I have these other things to do. They're really important. I can't do this thing. You see, the way my job works, I can't really share this with anyone because you don't see anybody outside of work either. Like, not the agas, right? Like, let's just be honest. How are you doing at sharing the gospel? And when you do share the gospel... Is there an invitation? Is there an invitation of repentance? An invitation of grace? Saying, come to church is not the gospel. That's inviting someone to a building. How are you doing at sharing the gospel? Friends, we are not simply information givers. We are grace inviters. And finally, we come to the third section. The final portion of our sermon, and here it is. At the wedding feast, there's a dress code. At the wedding feast, there is a dress code. Have you ever been underdressed at an event? It is one of the most awkward experiences ever. I've shared this story with some of the guys. One of my favorite preachers, his name is Dr. Stephen Lawson. He's a beast. I dig him. Anyway. He was hosting this several-day workshop uh, some time ago, so I went. And if you've ever seen Dr. Lawson preach, like on YouTube or anything else, he's always sharp. He has a suit on, really nice tie, like he is on it. And he has an entire class, no joke, just on how to dress. The guy's sharp. I can never be like him. I want to be like him when I grow up. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, foolishly, that when I get to this workshop, maybe his tie is going to be loose, or maybe he's not going to wear a tie, because it's a workshop. It's, it's Tuesday, right? I'm thinking that. I walk into the church. This is, I think, in New Braunfels. I, I walk into the church. Homeboy is suited up. I mean, he looks nice, but it wasn't just Dr. Lawson. 
everybody in attendance was wearing a suit or like slacks and a button down and I'm over here with skulls on my vans, shorts and like some stupid strength and conditioning shirt and my cap backwards. It was the worst. Now, here's the thing. There wasn't the dress code, but you just felt the eyes on you, right? And so I sat in the back, took my notes, and as soon as it was done, man, blitzed to Walmart and bought a pair of pants. Didn't help, uh, but that's all I could do. I wasn't going to buy a suit. But even that, that tells you, you know, it was really awkward. It was really, really awkward. Have you ever been in those kinds of situations where it's like, I feel dumb? And you... Most of the time we do. Anyway, back to the sermon. Here, we see that those who are in attendance at this wedding feast are wearing a wedding garment. So the house is packed. The music is on. The laughter is loud. Bellies are full. And hearts are beyond joyful. And in verse 11, the king looks over his guests. So the king came in. To look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. So he notices that someone in the party isn't wearing a wedding garment, and he goes up to him and asks him about it. And in this brief exchange, I'll read verse 12, but in this brief exchange, we're going to look at three very, very short observations. Verse 12, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So here's what I want you to notice. First one is, we kind of just mentioned it. We kind of looked over it. Everyone attending was required to wear a wedding garment. Well, how did they get one? Right? It was given to them when they walked in. That's implied in the parable. You see, they came as they were. Remember, they went out for the marginalized, the ones on the highways, the moral, the immoral, the good, the bad, right? The ugly, all that, right? They came as they were. You've even heard that phrase, come as you are. Yeah, they came as they were, but they could not enter the party the same way. What they had on was removed and a wedding garment was put on them so that they can enter and have this party. Second thing I want you to notice is still here, the king's patience. Verse 12, he, he asks him, friend, how did you get in here without the wedding garment? Just want you to notice the king's patience. And then finally, you might ask, well, what is the wedding garment? What's the thing? What's getting them in? The wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ imputed to the believer. It's that fancy word, right? Imputation. <clears throat> we'll tackle that in a minute. Once more, it is the righteousness of Christ. It is what you and I cannot earn or work for. It is the thing that tells us that we cannot stand on our own righteousness before the King. This wedding garment, it is the exchange Jesus makes for us on the cross in our place for our sin. Right At that moment on the cross, Jesus bears all of our guilt and shame and sin and then exchanges our sin for His righteousness. It's also known as the great exchange. He bears our sin and exchange gives us his righteousness. Those of you theological nerds, it's double imputation. 
right? Our sin is imputed onto Him and His righteousness is imputed onto us. The wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ imputed on the believer. The Apostle Paul says it this way to the Corinthian church, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the man's response, or lack of a response. So the king asks, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but let's just park there awkwardly for a second or two. He was speechless. The parable continues. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He is more angry here than he was when he sent his troops to take siege of the city. He is more angry here. So the king orders his servants to throw him out of the party and into the darkness. Oh, what do you mean by the darkness? Eternal punishment, separation from God, the absence of God's grace, hell. It is here where many might say, that's really harsh. The guy gets kicked out and he just wasn't wearing the wedding garment. The punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. That's, that's really, really harsh. Especially with Jesus' final words. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think people think that's the toughest part of the parable. And to be fair, it is but I don't think that's the toughest part. I think the toughest part is the fact that the man was speechless. Think about it. The king comes to him, and we're going to get more practical, but the king comes to him and asks him, where's your wedding garment? He was speechless. He didn't say, I'm so sorry, Lord. I didn't have time to change. What is it that you need me to do? Where where do I go? I, I, I didn't know that that's what I needed. How do I change. Lord, forgive me. I wasn't aware. What do I need to do? He was speechless. People in the church may be able to fool other Christians, but not the king. The king's son will not be dishonored, dismissed, or rejected, and that's what this man was doing. If the wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ, then this man walked through the same doors as everyone else and saw that it was provided, that the wedding garment was provided for those coming in through the doors and rejected it. And then being in the presence of the king without it was not only an insult to the king and his son, but this man was trying to stand on his own righteousness. He was trying to stand on him being good enough. He was trying to stand by saying, hey, your righteousness, I actually don't need it. 
And on that day when the king comes before him and asks him, where is your garment? He was speechless. I mean, what else could he have said? What could we say on the day when the king comes, on the day when the king approaches? Why should you come in to my kingdom? Generally, there might be three responses, right? One, there will be many who will attempt, like this individual, to stand on their own righteousness. I did good. I tried my best. I was just doing all of these good things. Have you seen my resume? And the response is going to be, it's actually your sin, your righteousness that got you in trouble in the first place. So why would you use that as something to get you in? There will be others who will hear that question. Why should you come into the kingdom? And like this man, they will be speechless. They got nothing. And then there will be those who will be asked that question. Why should you come into the kingdom? What right do you have to come into the kingdom? And there will be those that will say, I have no right. Because I'm not worthy. It is only because of the grace of Jesus that I'm here. It is only because of your invitation of grace that I stand here. Will God reject this person? Never. Never. The invitation of grace requires a dress code, but it is one that is given to you on behalf of the goodness and sacrifice of another. The wedding garment is for those who come before Christ to receive it in humility. Many are called, but few are chosen. Well, who are they? Jesus is making a point here. The wedding feast is for all, and those who enter are those who have received the invitation of grace, who have believed that word and repent of their sin and have surrendered their heart and will before the Lord. The gospel is not simply information. It is an invitation of grace to the disheartened, the discouraged, the broken, the arrogant, and the lost. And when one receives this invitation by faith, their old self is put away, and behold, the new is here, walking into the party with the robe of righteousness, only the righteousness is that of another. So the next time you're at the wedding party, or at a wedding party, or as we respond in prayer and singing in just a moment. Remember that this is a slice of what is to come in the kingdom of heaven. The food is ready. The DJ can be clearly heard, not like those muffled speakers down here. The table, the drinks, the desserts, the decorations have all been beautifully designed and placed. It is for you. The question is, will you receive and remember this invitation of grace? So Christian, where is your heart with the Lord Jesus today? 
do you find yourself embracing the same excuses as those who were originally invited? That is the love of the world. And John describes the love of the world as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is that what you have embraced? Do you reject or have you forgotten the invitation of grace that you received by faith? Church, let me invite you to confess and repent before the Lord. The righteousness in which you walk is one that you have received, not achieved. And if you're not a Christian, I'm really, really thankful that you are here. You didn't have to be and you chose to be here. Thank you. It's an honor. Here's what I would want you to know. God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ and lived a sinless life and died a death for sinners like you and me. And on the third day, He rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and hell so that we might receive the free gift of salvation that you and I cannot earn. All of this He accomplished on our behalf. Outside of Jesus, you stand outside of the kingdom you stand as an enemy to god you stand in opposition to god you will be unable to stand on your own righteousness but jesus stands ready to forgive and pardon any sinner who turns to him he stands ready to clothe any sinner with the robes of His righteousness. The message of the Gospel is not simply one of information, but it is an invitation of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the parable of the wedding feast. It brings comfort to our souls knowing that you have sought us in spite of who we were and have made us new, clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. This parable brings challenge to our hearts because we may not like what you have to say, but may we at least admit that the struggle and tension we feel is within our hearts. Lord, humble us today. Humble us so that we might turn to you for comfort and clarity, humility and praise. As your church, we confess that we often reject grace and the goodness of Jesus in our lives. Sometimes it's because our hearts lust for something that we think brings satisfaction. Sometimes it's simply forgetful. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help to align our hearts with the grace of God for us? If the parables have taught us anything, it is that our hearts are prone to wander, but Jesus draws near to us daily, ordinarily, and faithfully. Holy Spirit, remind us of who we are lavish us with the comfort of your grace so that we might abide in Jesus today. Father, you are good because you are gracious, and you are gracious because you are good. May we draw near to you today 
May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen.